Hi, everybody, and welcome to Humanity First. Um, we have a couple of guests uh, today. Uh, usually we just have one, but we have two. And uh, I would say that we, we're um, meeting today with two VPs from the organization who represent the engine room of the organization in terms of uh, the work that they oversee. So um, I'd just like to welcome uh, Chris Lopez and uh, Dan Spratt, who are both VPs in the Community Living and Day Services. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Well, thank, thank you so much. Hi, hi, Dan. Thank you so much for for joining us. I thought it was probably high time we had a conversation about the the residential world and and what goes on in um, on your side of the of the division. Because I would say that probably over the last two and a half years, the folks that you uh, work with um, have probably taken the brunt of uh, COVID and the difficulties that we've had. And, Whenever I start orientation every Monday, I always give a nod to the folks who got us through uh, the pandemic over the last two and a half years in terms of those folks who turned up day after day, those folks who stayed uh, in the programs, worked uh, for two weeks at a time. And I always tell that story about one member of staff, and I'm sure that more than one did this, but right at the beginning when we had no idea what was going on, we didn't, when we, well, we did because we knew that in the veterans' homes we, there, there were losses, uh, unbelievable losses of folks. But our staff, not knowing what the consequences were, came to work every day. And this one particular staff had worked uh, one of the first two week on shifts, and then she went into a hotel for a few days at her own expense so that she didn't bring back um, any of that infection into the house. And I thought, wow, if that's not a description of what essential is, I don't know. And I know that you have been enormous supporters of those folks all, all that time, all, all that over that period of time. I just want to thank you for that uh, and, and thank our amazing staff who, uh, as I said, redefined the word essential. Um, so I thought maybe we'd start there a little bit. Um, we have come through the pandemic, and as I say that, and I signed off on uh, on an uh, EOP this morning um, for another house who has had a positive, so it isn't by any means uh, over, but we have a vaccinated workforce and pretty much a vaccinated um, person serve group with exceptions. Um, I think we're better equipped to deal with what that, whatever that is at the moment. Um, but I guess I'd start from a place of when you look back on this, when you because you've had a front seat and you've been involved in this all the time. You know, what is the toll um, that this has taken on our workforce? We have a workforce that is um, that is really stressed at the moment, has been stressed for a long time. We have a workforce in, in our country, which is in. I don't understand it. Uh, I don't understand where people are. I don't understand why people aren't coming back into the workforce, not just talking about our work. Um, but for those who have uh, stuck through it, how, how are they doing, guys? How, how would you describe our workforce at this moment in time? Bob, you had to start. I, I would say um, to your point, thanks for inviting us, by the way. But, um, I, you know, I think we had to start off with, you know, social work, human services work is essential work there's no way around it. I feel a little bit like um, some of the uh, highlight the mat that of, on that for our workforce in particular uh, has dimmed, has dimmed quite a bit. Our workforce, to describe them, they're tired and they're stretched very, very thin. Um, and the, the shine, the kind of that, that light wearing off, um, you know, almost deprofessionalizes the work. 
you know, um, the competition uh, to be able to see that places like the grocery store have better technology to collect data than staff have in, in you know, in doing this essential work in some in some parts of the workforce can in and or that you can get twenty six dollars now to stock shelves at at um, Target is disheartening for people. So so I'd say that, that that's the thing is that they're tired. Many members of them, though, do see in some ways a bit of a career ladder opportunity here um, because of the people leaving the workforce. We've had more turnover like every other industry than we ever have in history. Um, and so sometimes they can be opportunistic, if you will. There's a chance to kind of advance yourselves. But I, that's what I would really say. Those tired and stretched very thin, yeah, very thin. Makes, makes total sense, Dan. Yeah, I would agree with Chris. Um, I think people are tired. Um, and, you know, I think there's this, um, I know, Peter, you've been going out to the, the programs and, you know, Chris and I are in the programs. And I, I it really, there's really a connection with the individuals. You know, when I see some of our staff and our managers, um, um, you can just really tell that the connection that, that they is really for the individuals. There is a, a deep there's a lot of compassion. And so I think for, for our, I think of our staff and our workforce, um, you know, I think that compassion has really helped kind of get through this because they were, weren't just seeing themselves. It was, it was, it was a bigger picture. They were there for the individuals and supporting them and caring for them. And I think for, um, a, a lot of our staff, um, that that's extremely rewarding. Um, but it, it doesn't come without a cost. There has been a toll on on our on uh, energy, physical, mental health. I mean, it, it takes a toll all around. But um, I do like to think that you know maybe we're kind of rounding the corner of it. I hope. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. I think when you see people doing this work, you understand that um, it really means so much more to them. And, you know, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. And when, when we look at, you know, we have 450 vacancies in this organization and it's, it is, when you think about it like that, no wonder people are tired, right? That's around about 29% of our direct care professional staff who are not here because we've been unable to fill some of those positions. So a third of the work has been sort of added on I know there's some agency costs, but if you actually look at the cost that we incur, it's the overtime cost that is that is huge. Um, so it's going to take a toll. Um, when I look at, at people, when, when I look at our turnover, we lose a lot of people in the first year, and um, and I, and that's awful. And there's, and I think we can do things about that. But it, the the reverse of that, I was thinking, is actually a very positive thing because once those folks get embedded in the program. Once they spend time with their four or five individuals that they are uh, taking care of, once they feel a part of the team of people who are all dedicated in the same way, and I see that in every house that I go to, they feel as if they're just like the person sort of have got their hooks into them, if you know what I mean. It's like, oh, right. Yeah. And you do, and people talk about pay, and they should because the pay is just, it's not enough. And people, complain about that absolutely rightly but then and then they say but i stay because and the stay because is because of the people that they care for and the people that they care with and and i'm always i always come away sort of feeling wow that is the essence of this organization that is actually the thing that makes us not different because i'm sure other agencies are, are, are good at that but 
that's the thing that makes people apply to us people you know want to work with us um and but but you know to your point that can that can wear thin sometimes when you're working 80 hours a week right I think sometimes though it starts out it's kind of values driven and then for some people it's the relationships that make them stay it's really what that's about both with their co-workers their supervisors but most importantly the person served and you know uh, to, to uh, their folks are tired but some of our core, our core staff they keep coming to work because they don't want to let they don't want to let person serve down you know they recognize that their work is really really impactful uh, they literally they change lives, but it's it's really really impactful. The the things that would not otherwise get done with or for a person served without their presence, right? And their right. commitment, you know. So yeah. yeah, you know, you mentioned I think Chris, you mentioned this idea of promotional opportunities uh, coming along for some people, and you know I think we've done a lot of work in the um, diversity, equity, inclusion space around recognizing that this is an agency that wants to um give the same opportunities to everybody um do you get the feeling that um that people feel that way is that are there more things that we can do to encourage folks to look for promotional opportunities i mean are there more things that we can do as an agency to to make people aware of promotional opportunities to give them the skills that they need um to to sort of move to that next level and it's a it's a question that's sort of buzzing around this organization all the time because you know I don't think we'll ever perfect that but moving towards uh, a better sort of playing field of equity if you like is something that we need to be doing all the time you know I mean I think you know as I was thinking kind of like in the last few months and you know kind of looking back at COVID and trying to look forward I think that that's one of those areas you know, Chris and I have been talking about is like getting back on track with um, making sure people know what those opportunities are and, and making and making sure that we're providing training and support and resources um, to to allow them to, to to grow and develop. Those are those have been you know a lot of things have can kind of been pushed to the side, and I think as we you know you were thirty three months I saw you know that we're, we're into this and. Um, you know, I think we need to kind of. It's, this is a great time for us to kind of get back on track with that. You know, the new and emerging leaders program um, is awesome. I mean, it's a great opportunity for people um, that aren't already in a leadership role, but they have a desire for it and some really, really good training and support um, and mentoring um, around developing that. And so, I do think that that's. Um, you know, I think of that that turnover rate, Peter, that you talked about. Um, I think you know, letting, making sure people know and are aware of those opportunities and then supporting them through it. Um, I think the, the benefit then is there is that retention. They become better leaders themselves, better, you know, and it kind of just trickles down and then it allows people to kind of, to, to rise through the, through the ranks, so to speak. Yeah, and I see that, especially with those folks who go through the um, new and emerging. It's, it's an amazing offering. Well curated, well curated, um, very, very, well-rounded um, training program yeah. folks that have come through that they feel very invested in for one right um and then they and they also feel like they have tools to take back to to whatever work they're doing now and and more confidence in their ability to to climb the career ladder within bams who are outside of the organization yeah yeah and i think that 
I think people that I've spoken to about it, and even people who know people that have been through it, speak about, wow, that's a lot of investment that um, that folks like, you know, you guys who teach on it and, you know, Jill and, and folks really um, dedicate an awful lot of, uh, of time to it. And that's actually a really powerful thing. I think it's like, wow, Bamsi, it is investing some uh, time and effort in giving uh, folks the opportunity. I wish we could do more folks um uh but you know i i did meet um i, I won't name the person because it might embarrass them but i i did meet somebody at um at the person so cookout a while ago who said you know if only i could get on that if only i could do that um and you know i said well have you applied and they said well no not yet and i said you know it might be a really good job to uh, a good idea to sort of apply and see what happens and he's now one of the cohort uh, there at the moment. That, that sort of gave me an idea of, do people feel um, uh, as entitled to what they're entitled to, if you know what I mean? Do they, are we are we pushing that message uh, far enough into the organization for pe to people to think that I, I do have a career here? And obviously we are doing that for some people. It's just a question of connecting with more people, I think, because I think the proof is in the pudding. If, if people see a way uh, to create a career in the in the organization they're more likely to stay and I would say at, um, at orientation it's really nice when you get people coming back to to Bamsey as well and we get a lot of people coming back and they left I mean in COVID they left for all sorts of reasons right to look after their loved ones and you know to school uh, their kids and all of those things but generally speaking you always hear nice things uh, about about the organization that people have had uh, experiences before and word of mouth i think is the biggest uh, successful recruitment um that we have um and that's really important is it that people feel um as if they feel good enough about the organization that they'll tell a loved one or they'll tell a friend of theirs that this is somewhere to come. And we have an incentive for folks right, who do that, current employees. I, I can't exactly remember what it is at the moment, but we but we push that a lot. That if, you know, if you if you tell somebody and they come and they and they work, I think, is it $500? Yeah, we have a $500 referral bonus. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And just so that people know that everybody that if you if you manage to do that, uh, that is um, that is $500 within, uh, I think it's a few months of them being in the workforce. I can't exactly remember, but always like to mention that. Um, but, you know, one thing that um, one thing that I, I think about a lot is we had this sort of forced adoption with with COVID, didn't we? We sort of went into it. We didn't know what was happening. We had to use some things on the clinical side, um, on the behavioral health side. We moved into using, um, you know, sort of telehealth and and I, I can tell you this, having tried to push this for five years in another organization and everybody said, well, you know, we need to wait, we need to do this. On that day, on the 14th of March 2020, it was like, you have to. And so also the gloves were off in a way. Do you think, um, can you think of anything that we've learned in COVID? It's very different, of course, for, you know, hands on 24 hour care. Anything that we've learned over the last two years that we can sort of pitch into the future that would that improves the life of the people we serve and the folks who work with us. Well, just like we had to adopt some of these these virtual plat platforms, persons served and their families had to do it as well. And so one of the things I would say for certain is that there's more face-to-face, -face, if you will, via 
we use the tools and the technology better. And so many, many of persons served now have more contact with folks, friends, uh, and um, and the community in some ways, virtual, you know, um, uh, faith services, there's, you know, um, involvement in groups and social groups and stuff that they could do either virtually or in person. And those things have stayed. Those things have stayed for folks. Someone who might otherwise, say, miss a service of some kind because the weather was inclement or, you know, they weren't feeling their best still gets to participate because those platforms remained. So I, I would say that that's a major, that's pretty, a pretty major plus. Yeah, I think we did learn a lot um, that we were probably holding ourselves back, you know, at the same time. Dan, had any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I was, as, as Chris was talking, I was, I was thinking of our day programs and, and the, the ability of you know, figuring out a way to, to have individuals still feel connected um, especially, you know, and so I think that that was huge. And I think it, um, you know, I think it allowed us to kind of challenge our own thinking about what we can do and how we can help people be connected and how we can, uh, you know, still reach out to folks and support them. And so I think it's challenged our thinking in a lot of ways. Um, and so I think as one of those things of, oh, you can't do groups and with screens. Well, you know what? It's, is it not ideal? Um, but we can make it work and, and we can be creative with it and the, the individuals will benefit ultimately from that. Yeah. I wonder if staff meetings are any different now. <clears throat> Just, you know, in, in Resi, it was always like, how on earth do you get all of those people, the overnight folks, the per diem and the, um, you know, those people that do that one shift a month on Saturday night that you, you, People say, why do you keep that person on? And you say, because <laughs> it's the most important shift. But, you know, getting those folks together and to a staff meeting, I was I was at one uh, the other day at um, Highland Street and and they were fully, you know, half of the people were in the room and half of the people were on the screen. And, you know, the, I think that's also improved the, you know, because who's going to come in if they've got another job and but but maybe they can take a little, you know half an hour or so to come in and and uh, and get that information so maybe maybe that's been beneficial as well there's some pluses and minuses to that though the the, the plus being that people's ability to to attend participate and get the information without the additional time of travel and all of that's huge and that i think there's been some benefits to that the other part is that because we're a kind of a paper heavy system if you needed to sign off on training that happened you need to get that done the next time you're on site yeah, yeah. And i don't yeah. mean to poke a hole in the good parts but that that is when it has been an actual kind of a consequence of some of our or you know it, it requires a step to follow-up work around if you will yeah that's a really good point but then you know you could go a bit further and say well you know um are there other things that we could use electronically that would, would that would represent an electronic um, um, signature and uh, and we're, I think we're moving into that world as well uh, which is really helpful but um but you know one thing I, I, I you know I've been at BAMSI for two and a half years and a bit more than that um, and sort of fle flexibility and adaptability is something that I've seen um, every time I'm anywhere in Bamsey and people, you know, really have proven that over this time. And I suppose that sort of need for flexibility and adaptability is going to be challenging us further as we move into um, 
this new era of work. You know, it's, uh, it's a little bit depressing for, for us when you hear that people are making decisions to opt out of the workforce. First of all, you know, are these people in independently wealthy? Maybe, I don't know. But, you know, that. but certainly people are making decisions. You know, I think about, you know, maybe, um, you know, partners who have a child are making a decision that one of them will stay home, you know, and, and not come into the workforce because they've realized that the cost of childcare is actually equivalent to uh, the cost of, uh, sorry, the revenue that you bring into the family household. I think some of those have happened. There's been this sort of um, reckoning, I suppose, of what quality of life really is. Uh, when I speak to some folks in, in HR, they say, you know, this isn't a, a temporary thing. This is going to hang around. People are reevaluating. There's a new generation coming up. Um, how do you see us being able, and I'm asking you particularly about this because the most labor intensive on-site thing we do is what, you know, you're responsible for. And we're all responsible for, but I mean, in terms of your positions. Um, does that worry you that we're having um, a different view of what work is? And then I think from the optimistic side of it, because I always think of this as that, like, um, there are people who are going to love and want to do this, uh, regardless of the employment situation of the way the world is changing. And how do we begin to sell that to folks? I mean, you've been talking about some of the things that engage people, but in a, in a tighter labor market where there's going to be less people looking for work, apparently, um, what makes us stand out? How can we tell that story about this is the place that you want to be? You know, any thoughts about that? Well, I think that, the, you know, there's certain components that we can market, market differently or, or, or represent differently. One of the things that I think we need to kind of stop referring to it as entry-level work. Mm -hmm. It's not entry-level work. Mm -hmm. It's skilled work. It's very skilled, essential work. And when you look at the training um, that, that folks are required to do and what they have to do in practice day in, day out, it's really not entry-level work. Um, both in the residential counselor realm and certainly in the nursing realm. So I think that we need to, to represent it that way and continue to professionalize the industry in the same way, you know, that, and leverage technology because, you know, there's the, the, the added value to, you know, proposition, the added value of it being a professionalized position, not just anything, not just the licensed folks, kind of means a lot. And then giving people more sophisticated tools to do the job so they can see that how the, the data they collect, the things that they do help drive decisions that improve the quality of life of the people they, they support. And then the second thing I would point is that we, we have a bit of a niche at BAMSI where we provide a lot of medically complex supports. And so there's two places I see. One is that to attract nursing folks, that you have the ability to provide really outstanding, qual continuous quality of care for a defined group of people. You're not on a floor in a nursing home with 22 people and one CNA. These are the four or five people and you get to know them quite well. And then for the for the other side, for those kind of, you know, people looking for career ladders and development, a lot of our medically complex homes are a great working place for someone who's in a pre-med of any kind. Um, and it could even be in other forms of social work, um, you know, in, in, in counseling and trauma-informed care and so many other things. You can get a great jump start um, in working in, in residence programs where you really get to know the people. You really yeah. get to know them. Yeah. And I don't know if we tell that story as well as we could do, I suppose. That might be a point. Dan, what do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I would, I would agree with, with Chris 100%. I, th I think, um, you know, not looking at as an entry level type of a position, professionalizing, and there's a movement out there for that. And I think we need to continue to um, support that um, and support those initiatives uh, and, and, you know, that raise the awareness and, and raise the, um, the, the importance um, of, of the work and the professional nature of it. Um, <laughs> is and then of course you know the, the, it's it's getting then you know legislators on board to also recognize that i mean that's the, the other part of that so that they do um th they do provide um commensurate wages um for for the the level of work that they're doing yeah you know when chris when you mentioned at the beginning of the target thing that really sticks in my core of what because you know that, that you know you can stick a dime on you know a, whatever target sells a t-shirt let's say um and we can't do that because we have to we're, we're within the bounds of what we get but what we can do is advocate for um a fair wage, a good wage for people doing incredible work. And, you know, it's funny, I think the other thing that we all, we should look at, generally speaking, is that we we uh, ask people to care for folks who are incredibly fragile medically, and they do it really well. But then in other places, we won't let them do other things that are so more insignificant than the actual care that they're doing. So that this idea of giving people um, authority over the work i think is really important uh but and testing to make sure that that work is done properly but sort of reversing that thing a, a little bit about letting people feel as if they have more control over their workplace which is difficult to do sometimes but i think there's some things that we can do we've been doing it i think gradually and I, I think about changing our bereavement policy and you know when we did that there were a lot of folks that said oh that's going to be terrible people are going to take advantage of it well, they haven't. They just have not. I mean, okay, somebody may have said, you know, my granny died for the 14th time or something like that, but essentially people have not done that. And they're making their own determination about what bereavement is. Uh, may not seem like a big deal, but it is, I think, beginning to say, well, let's sort of reverse that a little bit so people feel uh, more respected in the workplace. And I know that you guys have been working hard on that, um, certainly over the last two and a half years and before. Um, but believe it or not, I think we're out of time and that seemed to, that half an hour went incredibly quickly, but um, anything else that you want to, any, any last thoughts that have come to you during the last half an hour that you want to close on? I just wish we could get stronger advocacy to, to increase the, the pay rates for frontline folks. Um, you know, uh, lots of communities and cultures kind of judge themselves on how well they care for um, the more vulnerable people within within their communities, and uh, and I, you know, I just do think that that the work is so, sometimes very undervalued, and I wish we could get a stronger constituency to kind of do the fight. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Dan? Completely agree, absolutely everything Chris just said. Yeah, I think when you look at our, our culture, it's an interesting culture, and I, I probably shouldn't say this because I'm not originally from it, but in healthcare, we spend an an, an inordinate amount of money on acute care in this country. And when you look at successful healthcare delivery, um, it, it, it's reversed in terms of the money you spend on prevention and post-acute care. And we need to move towards that. We overvalue 
the emergency room and those things that we can fix very quickly as opposed to paying attention to uh, the quality of life of the people uh, who uh, are in this particular commonwealth. I think that's a good point. I think we continue to push and advocate um, and we just our values, I think, around that care just need to be tightened up a little bit. And um, I probably shouldn't say that, but 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 I do believe that you know we should be spending more of our money on making sure that the people who are providing the care don't have to work two and three jobs uh, because that doesn't make any sense to me at all, or many, or many other people, I'm sure. Well, um, Chris and Dan, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and. Um, you know, maybe in a few months we can come back and say, well, okay, we're we're six months down the further down the line into our the endemic phase of this uh, of this uh, disaster that we call COVID. But um, but I think we're making progress, and um, and I know that you've been right at the heart of making sure that Bamsey has been a leader in, you know, uh, keeping people alive, frankly, over the last two and a half years. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having. Thanks for us. having us, Peter. Appreciate it. Be well.